Glenn lived at the place where the sun met the rock. It was also the place where the rock met the water. It was a place of high walls and unexpected colors, a place baked by the sun and frozen by the night and by the river. It was a place of extremes. To the tourists, he was something of a legend, a rumor heard from a friend of a friend, left out of the guidebooks for fear of ridicule. To the park rangers, the locals, the tour guides, he was something else. Perhaps a man, perhaps something more. They had seen them with their own eyes, striding or climbing high on the slick rock, his long white beard blowing behind him. An apparition half-clothed and purposeful. Only two people in the world had ever seen his sleeping place, a hollow carved by an ancient river in the days before humans, cushioned and insulated by deerskin and hand-picked cotton. One was Glenn himself, and the other was an old man named Bernard. Bernard had been an explorer in his younger days, boating, climbing, and hiking along the canyon until it was more like a companion than a wilderness. He spent his time now as a park manager, balding and tired, living as close as possible to the land that he loved. One evening, he had seen a patch of white hair through a grove of trees before a slot canyon, and he had followed it. Following the glimpse of a heel or a flash of white, he wound along the sandy floor between the two towering walls of curved and buttressed stone. Then the walls became too narrow, the slot continuing on unreachably into the darkness. So he walked back away and found a set of age-worn finger and toe holds carved into the rock. He climbed until the holes ended and he reached a ridge. Standing, he saw the old man like a mirage, sitting against the wall of the canyon in front of his small cave, a fire crackling at his outstretched feet. Glenn made no acknowledgement of Bernard's presence, so the one left the other in peace, and Bernard returned down the staircase without a word. Walking again along the sandy bottom of the slot, he realized that the only footprints were his own. Glenn had lived in the canyon for a long time. He had come there as a young man, a young human, it might be speculated, when the dirt of the city or the clutter of its people had become too much to bear. Perhaps they had thought him crazy, and he'd been locked in a building with all too friendly caretakers in white coats. Perhaps he'd been out of work, or there had been a woman who didn't feel the same way. Or perhaps it had been nothing. He chose not to remember, and he knew it didn't matter because here he was. But he knew something the tourists didn't, although old Bernard might have. He knew that his hold on the world was slipping. He knew that whatever thing it was that still held him to the ground, that made the bark of the trees smooth or the ridges of rock sharp, it was dying. So he did the things he always did. He strode along the cliffs to feel his limbs working under him. He ate, not much these days, often merely the leaf of a tree or a sun-warmed pebble. He watched his fire burn away next to him high on his ridge, fueled no longer by sticks but by the dust of his humanity, hovering like a star on the horizon. He slept. He dreamed. And one night his dream was different, and he knew he must take a journey. That day he walked for the last time in the canyon, he felt the stones with his fingers and drank the cool water. 
As he walked, he searched, looking under the roots of trees or high on the canyon walls. As the sun climbed in the sky, he searched. As the sun hovered at its apex and began to fall, he searched, and finally he found what he was looking for. A small pool about two feet across set into the sandstone beneath a beam of sunlight. He sat for a moment in contemplation of the pool, then picked from its depths a small round rock. The rock was sun-baked, a luminescent orange, shiny and deep and smooth from the water. He took the rock and crushed it in the light filtering past the canyon's walls. He poured the dust into a small pouch and mixed it to a paste with the sparkling water from the pool. That evening, he did not light a fire, but instead sat smoking his old stone pipe, watching as the colors deepened in the sky. As the sun touched the horizon, he laid down his pipe and stood. Turning his back to the spectacle, he walked away from the place where he slept and climbed down his wall. At the bottom of the slot, he strode for the last time as the purple rays dipped. He strode until he came to a place where the walls were unpassable, and he stopped. He stood for a moment, looked to where the last sliver of sun was visible, then slipped through the crack. Beyond the crack, there was no sky. The floor dropped away and the rocks changed. Where the rocks in the canyon had taken their form from water and the red light, these rocks took their form in darkness and from something else, perhaps flesh. They twisted grotesquely and seemed contorted, building into steep spires and strange elbows, slick and warm, alternately leathery and soft. Glenn wound his way deeper into the stone, clambering nimbly over and through crooked structures of rock, slipping through small holes and tunnels like a draft of air, climbing without pause down deep shafts, their sides running with icy water. All the while, the darkness was complete, the sounds of his passing mistakable for the drip and flow of streams or the tapping of small rocks. Then Glenn reached a cavern. He knew he had passed something of a threshold, because here again the rock was different. It kept the solidity of darkness, as well as the warmth of flesh, but added to this were certain crystalline qualities. Feathery accumulations of silence hung from the ceiling, in places soft to the touch, in places pointed and untouchable. And in some places, the rock held time, its edges hard and sharp and clear, growing from the walls like frost in rigid geometries, monolithical. Here, Glenn stopped. He stood in the cavern amidst the rocks of darkness and flesh and silence and time. And he drew out his pouch. Opening it, he dipped his fingers into the paste at the bottom and he began to paint. He painted stories, the story of the river and the tree, stories of the deer, the wind, the grass. There can be no telling for how long Glenn painted, but paint he did. In the cavern deep in the earth, brushing crystals of time from his shoulders as they grew, he painted the story of the world in the colors of the sun and the water and the rock. And as he painted, the light began to grow. The light spread from his fingertips, from his pouch, from the pictures on the wall, 
It grew and grew, spreading outwards like fire, eddying across the dark stone to swirl down carved riverways and to illuminate deep cracks. The light grew until the crystals rang with it, throwing it and bending it, spreading it from one to another, angry or gleeful, or something else entirely. Finally, Glenn stopped painting. He turned and was met by the reflected light of the story of humanity, emanating from deep within the crystals. They glistened there like a fresh-fallen snow, twinkling. They might have been reproachful, grateful, thoughtful. There was no way to know. But at that moment, Glenn felt the last of that thing which held him to the earth leaving. He felt his life force being pulled away into the crystals, swallowed into time and silence. It was pulling away unavoidably to be caught like a beam of light in the prism of crystals. So he followed it. He plunged his form into the rocks of time and began the final stage of his journey. He strode. He passed through glittering obscurities of light, frightening abstractions, fractured walls and glassy mirrors. But he kept going. He had lost most of his body, feeling now little but the floor that was no longer a floor against his feet, and the slap of the pouch at his belt, strangely heavy and simultaneously weightless, its contents seemingly undiminished despite his painting. Abruptly, he emerged at the point where time ceased to be solid, melting and flowing over white sands of death. He stepped unexpectedly out of time and into the dark night. Time tugged at his heels, rustling past him into the infinite dark horizon. You have come. Glenn turned to see the hunched specter of death, darkly floating beyond the river of time. A figure in dark robes, bony fingers wrapped around a scythe. I knew you would come, but I cannot move past this point. The future is blank. Glenn heard the words, but did not speak. Instead, he drew out his pouch. The world of life and beauty has no place here. This is the land of death. Glenn dipped his fingers into the pouch and began to paint. He painted a river. The only river is that of time. All other rivers are lesser. He painted a tree. The land of the dead is no place for color. He painted a person. Humans come here only when thought is spent and mind is wasted. He painted a sun in the head of the person. And from the sun, a spark of light began, and it grew and washed over the river and the specter who stopped. Glenn approached the specter of death and lifted his hood to see cold eyes staring from the sockets of a skull. Glenn looked into the eyes, and holding death's gaze, he dipped a finger into his pouch and painted a long red streak onto the skull. Instantly, death shrank in the glow and came to rest in the river. Death had been made human, and he began to be swept away in the rush of time about his feet. Glenn, on the other hand, began to float away, out of the river and into the starry black sky.